team for five leaders. Tonight, we're going to be joined by Texas in the AFL, the Orioles. And we're going to talk about some interesting topics like Sam, some yeah hey thanks a lot just want to double check the audio here that was a little rough coming in um go ahead and uh verify you can hear me i can hear you so clear yeah i'm 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 getting i'm getting most of what you got there so yeah thank you for having me on looking forward to it So unfortunately, Steve, it was breaking up there. I think you asked me uh, about my dynasty experience. Um, yeah. So um, I uh, I started fantasy sports back in 1993. Um, I was just a young kid. It started with fantasy football, um, little 10-man league uh, through the church. And we'd get up every Monday morning and check the newspaper um, to get the scores and We'd call an answering machine to make our transactions, and then we would mail out on Wednesday who got who in the pickups and who beat who, and it was great. Um, <clears throat> played that all through the 90s, got into college, Coast Guard days, took a break from fantasy, got back into fantasy baseball and football in 2007, um, did redraft leagues for a few years, quickly realized that I wanted more depth, uh, played redraft roto exclusively, um, Got into a dynasty league in 2009, still in that league. Um, actually transitioned from, from the dynasty version of that to the money ball version of that, which is a sa- contract salary based one versus just an own forever dynasty. Um, and then, uh, you know, Duke and I go way back. We went to college together at the Coast Guard Academy and um, he was part of that league at one point. And um, he invited me to ABL when he was getting ABL started. And, uh, you know, for that league, we had, I think, maybe five minor league players uh, in the early years, and later we expanded to 20. But, um, you know, with a 10-team, 12-team league, it's fluctuated a little bit. Um, nowhere near the depth that we have in ABL, for sure, in, in terms of the minor leaguers. And um, so got into ABL, and uh, it was a 30-teamer versus a 10-teamer, and it was 20 minor league spots versus the five or 10 we had. So... Uh, really stretch my pro- my uh, prospect knowledge for sure moving to ABL. And uh, right now I only play in ABL and Moneyball. I downsized from all my leagues in the offseason. I was in seven or eight. Got out of all of them with the intention of launching uh, TFE, the Total Franchise Experience, and that league hasn't, hasn't launched yet, but uh, wanted to scale down to be available for that. So I'm just running the two leagues or, or playing in the two leagues right now. That's great. Um, That's great. Uh, so t- tell me a little bit about your general prospecting approach and how you go about, you know, evaluating prospects, particularly since you started small and now you've got 20 spots to fill and a draft to prepare for. Yeah, I know you have a bullet point 
for later in the show um, discussing kind of how things have changed, but, you know, I, uh, in my prospect approach, but, you know, I'll, I'll just rehash a, a little bit of ABL history from the Rangers perspective, uh, if that's okay. Um, yeah. Because in in Moneyball and Dynasty, my, my prior leagues, um, you know, is with five spots, 10 spots, everybody's owning a top 100, um, you know, fully exclusively top 100 minor league system. So it's kind of like you're picking whoever's going to get called up soonest and proximity of the show is, is pretty important. Right. And so, um, moving to money or to, uh, ABL, um, we had our inaugural minor league draft, which I know, unfortunately, or fortunately for the league, you weren't part of, Steve, because you probably <laughs> be in a, a pirate-like position right now if you've been around to rob us then. But I think I, I missed out. <laughs> yeah, I think I traded my first-round pick for Taj Bradley, maybe, uh, because I don't even know why. I can't even remember why I did the trade. It was a disaster. Um, and I traded most of my picks for cap space, which was tradable back then, and FAAB, because uh, I thought that FAB and cap space, I thought I was going to have like an $800 cap space. I'd spend all this FAB and do, you know, bolster out my roster, trade for all kinds of stuff, and just run the league, the tables year one, you know? And um, so I'm going to draft <laughs> seven or eight minor leaguers in the first, you know, 15 rounds, maybe. And then I had like, you know, 12 picks in the 20th round or something like that. So I started with no minors and then I quickly uh, traded away all my draft picks in the future, um, thinking that I was, you know, essentially going to go for it. And um, within like five weeks of the season starting, I drafted 15 starting pitchers as well. A lot of them like Bubich and, and Debbie Garcia, uh, didn't work out like I thought they were going to. Um, I had injuries to Jordan and a couple other guys. And so I decided first mover to rebuild was going to have the advantage. So I rebuilt like five weeks into the inaugural ABL season that I thought I'd run the tables with. <laughs> minor system. I had no draft picks and uh, it was a disaster. And so I, I uh, set myself up with as many of the 2023 20, contracts as I could and mm -hmm. went second year and again you know i had a great team last year um i think if mark hadn't beat me in the first year i had the high score every week in the consolation bracket including the final week so the website actually says i'm the champion because it thinks i won um which is kind of funny to me but um i snipped that <laughs> and have it as a screensaver um just so that i can feel like duke's not dominating us um but i traded out my farm again to go for it right. all last year right. because I felt like I had a legitimate chance and I knew I was going to lose all my 2023 guys Fromber and, and, uh, uh, Verlander and Wright and so on. And so I was like, this is my chance. So I took a lot of criticism in the off season for some of my trades, but my goal was to get as many draft picks as I could that were high end that I could rebuild my farm and then also improve the farm where possible in the off season. And, uh, so that's what I did. I, I repositioned there. So, um, you know, question is overall prospect, prospect strategy. It's been radically changing year over year because I've made some horrible mistakes, um, you know, just, just to be frank about it. And so, um, you know, I, I, I would say one thing that's consistent is I look at it like an investment portfolio. You want to have, you know, some high risk, high reward 
at one point I had built out my thing in a pie chart so that I wanted like 40% large cap and 30% mid cap and then some small cap and some international. Ha ha ha. Right. And, um, <laughs> uh, I don't track it that closely anymore, but I was building out like this guy's got, you know, uh, an, uh, an 80 out of a hundred ceiling and he's got a 10% chance of paying out or panning out, but this one's got a, 20 ceiling, but a 90% chance of getting some play time, maybe like a tie black type situation, you know? Um, and I tried to balance my, my, my miners to, to, to pay off in that way. Um, so that's still pretty consistent. I, I also prefer proximity to the show over, over guys who are further away. Although as we'll talk about here later, you know, you're kind of rocking my world with, with this article that you've got here. And uh, as I reached out to you this week, I was like, man, I want to pull the trigger and I can't because all I can think about is the age of this player versus their level. Um, you know, uh, the other thing that um, is an approach for me from a prospect perspective, if you pull up the Rangers, uh, you don't have to. But if anyone looks at the Rangers team, it's going to be bat heavy. And back in the day, I was pitcher heavy. Uh, 10 stat didn't mean anything to me. Um I came up my first year, uh, I drafted Kershaw, Strasburg, Josh Johnson, Max Scherzer, Rich Harden, Justin Verlander, all these guys in 2007, 2008, when they're young, that I chased strikeouts, uh, where walks was about four per nine or lower. And, uh, they all panned out. They, they worked out. All those names were fantastic until Josh Johnson got hurt. You know, Rich Harden as well had some injury issues, but, um, you know, all these guys uh, were fantastic. Uh, Strasburg came a little later than 07, 08. But um, anyways, I was chasing that K-9 with a palatable walks per nine. Um, you know, I have been had my heart broken by so many pitching prospects since I started and, and kind of hit the jackpot at first, you know. Um and so I've avoided, you know, I, I got burned by guys like Robbie Ray and Matt Moore and Gio Gonzalez. And, you know, these guys that were fool's gold, really. They were high strikeouts, which in Roto is valuable. But when you go to points, sure. you know, they, they can be less valuable if they don't have the other metrics working for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I decided that um, the highest likelihood of getting something from the farm was on the bat side of things. And so it's kind of like if I was an NFL owner, I would draft O-line and D-line and cornerbacks, and I would sign my offense when they became available, when my team was ready for them. And that's my philosophy with prospects. I'm going to you know, fill my, my farm with bats. I'm going to get a 50% or so platoon everyday rate that gives me something, and then I can buy the pitchers at auction or trade you know, more, more picks and specs later when the team's ready for the pitching. Um, mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. kind of philosophy yeah. there. Yeah. No, that, that's interesting because a lot of owners, I think, um, hedge their pitching by doing the same thing. They, they front load on in the draft, prospect draft on hitting. They will often drop down pitchers, even if even if the pitcher is more highly rated than the hitter, they'll drop them down and they'll just keep drafting college bats or people who are in greater proximity to the majors or on the offensive side with the philosophy that they'll be able to make up the pitching later, either through trades or a free agency or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, particularly when owners go and sell you know, or dump in our league to use our terminology. Right. Um, right. You know, so that's, that's not unusual. We've talked a couple of times on the show and I know you've watched the prior pods about, you know, hedging your pitching risk 
right? Um, and, you know, they're obviously more injury prone just because of the nature of pitching, um, you know, more than anything else. Um, and, you know, maybe there's something to be said for just being a more volatile skill set uh, as well and just taking a little bit longer to learn uh, how to actually pitch in the majors. And, you know, Robbie Ray is a good example, right? I mean, Robbie yeah. Ray had a lot of years where he really struggled with walks. And then he kind of put it together um, and, you know, um, he had a little bit of regression last year, um, but, you know, was generally a much better pitcher than he had been at the start of his career. It kind of came together for him. Um, so people who got him on the rebound are, are happy, right? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And another, yeah, well, consideration, we'll another consideration on a 30-teamer with 20 minor league spots, right? So, mm -hmm. and, and talk where I've pushed, and maybe you objected, I don't remember what your position was, but for more minor league spots. And, and my, my logic on that was, um, you know, if I get a minor league pitcher, uh, take Lesko or something like that, right? And uh, which, you know, you may or may not be trading me uh, at some point, you know, uh, I've texted my friends at your request and we're working on it. But, um, uh, but you know, let's say he's, he's, you know, developing and he gets Tommy John. Well, you've got a sure. dead spot. That's 5% of your available gamble that's a zero for 18 months. Plus, he's got to come back and reestablish himself. You're looking at 24 months that you've got to hold on to this minor leaguer in this very coveted spot, you know. And if I had 50 spots, I would be more inclined, you know, to add some pitching to it. But other than, you know, Aaron Zavala, who's out with UCL issues right now, uh, yeah. it's not common for the batters, right? They're going to show up and they're going to suck or they're going to figure it out, but you're not going to sit around for two years with a dead spot. So yeah, and it's, of... you know, it's an interesting, you know, philosophical question about roster construction and dynasty because you know the um, roster spots are precious, and if you make more of them, right, you're devaluing each slot, right, and the effect of that can be um, that owners who aren't as knowledgeable of prospects, right are now going to get screwed, right? Because yeah. like, so what I had said when you proposed that rule change is that, look, this advantages me. Guys like me who are like real prospect hounds, like, yeah, sure. You want to give me 10 more spots, 20 more spots? Like, you know, good luck. Because I'll have a hold all the guys. And, you know, it may have a negative effect on trading. Uh, because now if I have like, you know, 20 guys that I think are really good, plus another 10 that I think are pretty good, you know, Maybe I'm less inclined to trade for prospects, you know, because uh, I feel like a really deep bench. Um, or the only time I'm going to make a trade is when you trade me your best guy off your roster. Um, but I think more than anything else, I just it, it could have a dampening effect on enthusiasm in the league because I think right now you're made you're forced to make some hard choices. Like if Dylan Lesko, you know, I mean, he's already recovering from Tommy John, right? So you know if he got hurt again, you know, kind of like some of the pictures we've seen. You know, that puts me in a tough position, right? Because it's harder to trade him now, right? Um, it's like Sixto, you know, Sixto Sanchez, that kind of disease, like all these injuries. Or do I cut bait? You know, and I talked last right. episode, you know, with, um, with John about some of his problem child prospects, you know, and guys he's chosen to hold on to because he's got, you know, he kind of has a tiger by the tail, right? I mm -hmm. mean, you know, do, do you let him go or do you keep holding on to him, right? Because, um, Sometimes you don't know what to do with them. So I, I actually like the shorter rosters. I mean, I think 20 is pretty deep. I mean, I'm in one league with 30. Um, and, 
you know, it, it allows enough depth in the prospect ranks where I feel like I can trade guys away and still get good prospects. Right. Um, I mean, one of the things I like about this league is that even though there are 30 teams, even though there are 600 prospects held at any given time, I can always find someone, somebody on the wire when it comes to prospects. You know, there's always some guy that's out there. I mean, a lot of the guys are owned, but you just dig deep and I find guys and, you know, you end up monetizing them to use your economic, you know, example. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you got to learn to play the game the way the rules are written, right? And if we're going to yeah. have guardrails of only 20, you know, I understood your point. If we go to 50, there's going to be like eight of us that have like 40 of the top 500 or whatever the number is, right? Yeah, yeah, Some yeah, people yeah, yeah. are going to be better than other people at prospecting. Some people are going to know more, read more, whatever it is, right? And it's just going to disproportionately advantage those teams. I get it. Um, yeah. But I also don't like having, you know, Shane Sasaki and being like, I don't have a roster spot for him. Like, right. You know, I mean, that's frustrating. Um, yeah. And so, and, and so, you know, is it 25? Is it 50? Is it 20? Well, it's going to be 20. So we just got to learn to live with 20. Um, <laughs> you know but, what? We should all, we should all be careful not to give Duke any more sponsors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's actually how you think about everything in this league. It's like, how's it going to affect Duke? <laughs> but the point is, if I only have 20 spots, I don't want to put many pitchers in them. You know, I've got yeah. Kumar Rocker, I've got Slade Kikoni, I've got Ryan Cusick, uh, I've got Connor Pilkington who just called up and then went back down, and I've got one, uh, one other guy in the, in the pitching spot. I don't remember who it is right now, but um, you just acquired him. You just acquired him for me. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. At Robbie, Robbie Snell. right? Yeah, right. And and I'm only excited about two of those guys. Um, I, I would easily, I would easily move on from from Cusick or from Kikoni. Um, you know, they're fine. They're, you know, I don't like the the metrics that I'm seeing from their development. Uh, I feel mm -hmm. like they're not improving. Um, what metrics do you, what metrics do you look at? What do you, what do you, you mentioned K per nine earlier. Is that in walking? Yeah. Right? Are, are, are those are the things you tend to care about. Uh, you know, I, 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 uh, strikeout to walk ratio matters to me. One thing that I really care about is the relationship between walks and batting average against. Um, you know, if I'm looking at a whip and I, it's 1.25 or something like that, right? But the batting average against is 0.17 and, and the walks per nine is like, you know, 4.8. Um, you know, that's going to tell me that this guy has wicked stuff more than likely. They're only hitting him for 170, uh, but he's not throwing it in the zone enough to make it matter. And so like Clayton Kershaw coming up, um, I picked him up because his walks was, I, I think, 4.4 per nine. Microscopic. And, and, <laughs> and the guy's like, that's too much. I'm not yeah. owning a pitcher that walks four and a half guys every nine innings. And yeah. uh, so he traded him to me. And um, I love the guy. I just watched him pitch. I could tell he had filthy stuff. And I was like, if this guy ever trusts his stuff and puts it in the zone, then he's going to be a much better pitcher. And what did Clayton do? He went from throwing 97-98, throwing 91-93. He relied on his curveball as his out pitch. Mm -hmm. He kept people off balance, and he threw strikes. And then he walked, what was it, 7 or 11, yeah. whatever the number was, in 149 innings, something like that. Yeah, and, yeah. it turned out to be microscopic, his walk rate, right? I mean, it, it, Yeah, yeah. And so I'm looking for guys that are filthy. 
of Chris Bubich is another one. You know, he had 185 Ks and 149 innings, I think, in minor leagues. Uh, his batting average against was sub 200, uh, but he had some walk issues. And I was like, man, if this guy will trust this stuff and throw it in the zone, then I think he's going to be a good pitcher. And, you know, he hasn't figured that piece out yet. You know, he hasn't developed the way I wanted him to, but will he have a Robbie Ray type, you know, age 28, 29, sure. you know, improvement i think it's possible i think i'm the one that put him on the 2026 contract um unfortunately i traded him i'd love to have him now but um i i had to you know do the best thing at the time but those are those are some of the things that i look at from a pitching standpoint um, uh-huh. i do when i read i read for athleticism so carson williams phenomenal athlete um you know he's a two-way player in high school he's playing the plus positions he's hitting, he's stealing, he's fielding, you know, he's shortstop, pitcher, hitter, yep. stealer, he's doing it all, right? Now he's got a 50% K rate right now, right, Jeff? Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I would take him in a heartbeat because he's a good athlete. Um, and so I right. look for athleticism, which, you know, I'm a baseball player and and I'm not in athletic shape right now, but, you know, I, I, I it's a skill sport. And so it doesn't have to have athleticism. But particular when you're looking at pitchers, you have like Jake Arrieta, um, you know, that's somebody that I was always big on when he was awful with Baltimore because he was a great athlete. I mean, his ESPN mag with his abs ripped out and he's drinking a shake or whatever he's doing, you know, and he's yeah, yeah. juicing veggies and he's doing his thing, right? And he just figured it out and he had the athleticism to stay healthy for a while and to get it done, you know. And then as soon as I say something like that, Bartolo Colon shows up at 44 hitting runs and throwing strikes. And so it's like, what do I know? But I do read for athleticism. You know, I, I forget the player now, but um, the the comment from Rotowire, whoever it was, was that he was the worst athlete in his class. Um, and I was immediately out. Uh, yeah. They had residual, but I'm like, I'm out on this guy. Like, you know, I want somebody that's going to stay healthy and athleticism helps with that. It does. Um, so it look, does for sure. Those are intangibles that I look for. Interesting. Interesting. You know, the, the athleticism point, I, I really put a lot of emphasis on that. Um, because yeah. I, what I'm buying is the athletic skill. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that the coaching and the practice and the you know exposure, the trigger time will bring the yep. skills along to match the athleticism. But as the player gets a little bit older and further advances in the minors, I start to place more and more emphasis on whether they're actually doing it right. And by doing it, I mean making enough contact and, you know, actually yeah. getting to their raw power. You know, are they actually able to steal bases? Um, you yeah. know, uh, and, you know, is their command for pitchers? Is their, you know, K to walk ratio improving? Uh, is, is it, you know, at a steady level? Is there consistency? Um, repeatability uh, is really important. So, it's probably a sliding scale for me. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, I drafted Elijah Green number two overall in our draft this year. And it was Beast, right? It was purely athleticism. You know, I mean, it's like yeah. he's Bo Jackson. You know, and yeah. I'm like, I'm taking that. Uh, he's 19, and, you know, there's a lot of risk there, a lot of variance, but I'm buying the athleticism. And if, if it comes together, he's a rock star, um, you know, or he never reaches a majors. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, who was that? Elijah Dukes was a great athlete, I think, if I recall right, and he just couldn't put it together on the field. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 not Victor Mesa Mesa, the other Marlin that came up. 
uh, Monta, um, uh, Monty Harrison, a uh, beast of an athlete, couldn't put it together on a baseball field, you know. Yeah. So it doesn't always translate. Two other things that I look at, and then we can move to the next point because um, I know we're on a schedule here, and I want to respect yeah. that. But um, I look for doubles. I'm, I'm just, okay. like, starving for doubles. Eloy Jimenez, Jose Ramirez, uh, two guys that I was all in on early on. I remember in one of my one of my leagues, I traded Rugnet Odor for Jose Ramirez straight up, um, and it was after Odor just hit 30 home runs, but he had like 24 doubles or something, and Jose Ramirez had like 56 doubles and 16 yep. home runs or something, and I was like, give me the doubles because one of my graduate pieces was on uh, power development in the MLB, and it tends mm-hmm. to evolve around 27, 28, so. If I'm dealing with a 22-year-old Jose Ramirez who's hitting 49, 56 doubles, uh, Eloy Jimenez had 50-some doubles at the double-A level, you know, uh, I, I believe in power, right, coming from yeah. those doubles. And so um, that's a big thing for me. I don't really look at home runs at the minor league level. I look at doubles. And uh, I also watch a lot of baseball. A lot of minor league baseball, uh, you know, you can get it through MLB TV. I have the Pensacola Blue Wahoos here in town, and so I get to see a lot of great franchises come here. You, got to, see, you got to see my boy. You got to see my boy, Yuri Perez. I get to see Yuri. I've seen him three or four times, and he's awesome. I sit right at my home plate. I go down to the to the bullpen for his warm-up. I mean, I'm like from here to the screen away from him, and uh, you can just watch the electricness of the ball. You can watch the approach of the batters. Um, you can watch the command of the pitches, the comfortability of the pitcher or the batter, whatever it is. You know, I came and I, I was real big into Nick Senzel um, and Jesse Winker, and they showed up here, and uh, Alex Skriloff. Those are three players that, you know, I watched play probably 20, 30 games, and I was out on Senzel, I was out on Skriloff, and I was all in on Winker after watching them play, you know, 30 games in the summer. And uh, Schwarber and Eloy came here under the Cubs organization, and uh, Schwarber was a beast. Uh, I, I remember I went and picked him up that night after watching him just dominate the field. And uh, so I, I watched baseball, and, and you know, you just – like Dylan Cease, when he came up, he couldn't not get hit. Every pitch I watched, yep. I watched a lot of Chicago White Sox that year, he just got shelled. But I loved his stuff. I thought it looked fantastic. I was buying seats every league that I was in um, because I could just watch him pitch and be like, this kid's right. got it. Like, it is right, electric. So, so part of your approach is kind of an ad hoc live scouting, right? Yeah, yeah. So I get accused as a data scientist of using a lot of heuristic models, which are like intuitive models versus data-driven models, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I'm the same way in baseball. Like, you know, the numbers are maybe 50% of the story, but you got to put eyes on it. You got to watch it. Alex Reyes is another one. God bless him. He can't stay healthy. But I remember when Reyes came up and I'm like, that is the most electric fastball I've seen. That fastball is moving eight inches. Like, and he's throwing it 99 miles an hour every time. Like, can't do that as a starter. This guy's probably a back end guy, but man, I'm not batting against him. You know, this looks like yeah. a lot of children out there. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I just watch a lot. I've got a screen right here. It's on 24-7. You know, it, I mean, it literally never goes off running highlights, running games during the day. That's I great. just watch people play. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's an important part of the process, it sounds like. It, it works. 
right? I mean, you've, you've identified a lot of great players over the over the years. Um, and I've probably missed a lot too, but you know, <laughs> haven't we all? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All? I mean, this is not an exact science, right? It's a lot. Sure. Right? <laughs> it's more of a you know an art than anything else. But um, you know, we alluded to to it earlier. There's this uh, really interesting baseball HQ article that I wanted to talk about with you came out. So let me put it up on the screen or just part of it anyway. Um, folks know who have watched the show, I'm a big uh, HQ fan. And uh, they came up with this very interesting piece about um, the age 